0: Hello. Dens is this the Adam Taylor from the world famous, the addict and the counselor podcast? Yeah. You've heard of me before. Yeah. I'm the co-host. Oh,
1: oh yeah. How goes it? It goes. It's going forward. Um, by the way, I fucking hate texting with you. The worst And I think we had that as a five controversies Right, call or text You're you're like the worst You're fucking It's tough to text with you Because I want to strangle you through the phone And I can't, if I was talking with you I could just, it'd be different It would come across different But the texting, I just, I literally just want to I don't know You you make it difficult, you really do You make our you make our friendship difficult, Joe? Really.
0: There's a long line of people who want to strangle me. so get in line, buddy. Well, I can leave the charge. That's all I'm saying. So interesting way to start our episode today uh, to our to our listening audience. Uh, we appreciate uh the, the the mentions the listens the follows um we really do appreciate it It means a lot to us other uh, people are you know are impacted by this and so uh, you know we, we take very kindly to people like you know reaching out in the emails and everything like that and so uh again as always if there's something that you, you know you think we need to talk about i, I think both you and i are you know, open to like any subject matter within kind of addiction treatment recovery uh you know that we'll cover. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean you and I have been talking for the last few days about, you know, maybe a subject matter that we haven't covered in, in detail. Uh so we wanted to kind of, you know, start this podcast off in, in, in that topic.
1: Yeah. So um so this is coming off the heels of a a birthday party dinner that I had for for yours Truly me (laughs) you threw a
0: party for yourself
1: (laughs) so this is how it went down so like a week and a half ago or so my folks were like we're you know we're planning to take me out for dinner for my birthday at this new italian restaurant right and and like about a week and a half ago my mom texts me hey, what do you think about inviting your close friends who have stuck by you throughout all your bullshit, you know, with all your addiction stuff, you know, who've she hung in bullshit. there with you. No, she didn't, but this is how I frame it. And um, <laughs> Your interpretation. I know, I know what she really means, you know. So um, so I'm like, let me, you know, let me think about that. So, of course, you know, I took, took the temperature of, you know, some people and I, I got... <laughs> You know, I asked two people if they would attend if I if I was to have such a thing, <laughs> and they said yes. So that was my temperature taking. Mm-hmm. And, um, I decided to send out an invite. You being one of them, and you you um, declined my invite. Mm-hmm. All right, because because you just. I don't know. I, you didn't really give me too good of a reason. <laughs> <laughs> now you're l- lying to our audience. Uh, you know, uh,
0: don't, don't do that. Well, a- Adam over here uh, apparently forgets the idea that I live in a completely different state <laughs> and it takes four hours to, to get to Massachusetts from New Jersey and that he thought that by giving me a seven-day okay. period, uh, that should be yeah. enough for me to rearrange <laughs> My whole situation with two children and a wife—that driving four hours, eating Italian restaurant
1: in what Beverly? No, in Danvers. Danvers, even even better. <laughs> well known for its Italian food. All right. Regardless, let's move on from from you know <laughs> you um, declining my invite, but and, and I wanted to Facetime you in, and you weren't having that either. But anyways, so. Um so yeah, sent out some invites. Um and a majority of people, my close friend showed up and um and I was sitting there and I'm you know I I gave a little you know a little thing at the beginning, you know, I rang the the, the glass yeah the glass and um you know I said hey you know this is um you know you might be asking yourselves why you're sitting here and I'm sorry, but unfortunately you've been identified as close friend. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and I said, you know, it doesn't, you know, I don't know what that looks like from your end, but really it's none of my business. You know, you've been identified as close friend for me on my end, you know, and that's really all that matters. Mm. And um, and this is more of a you know not birthday party, not really birthday party, but this is more of a thank you to to you and you know my 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 friends who have stuck with me. That's your through present my, through my trials and tribulations, and you know I really do appreciate you know I appreciate it. So under you know any and all conditions, I have some friends that have stuck by me, and so I was thinking though like the important like the the part that like friend like deep close intimate friendships play in my recovery and like my process like throughout the years of like of cultivating those relationships and how you know how they've grown and and changed and all that stuff, you know? And so like I I was thinking like when I when I first got clean at 21, you know, from, um, you know, from opiates, right. And I, I came in, I didn't have any, I didn't have any f- friends that were clean. I had nobody, you know, I was, mm. you know, all my friends were using friends, right. From when I was a teenager until, you know, I decided to to try to get clean at 21 and, it's lonely. It's lonely being a newcomer in recovery, you know, and <clears throat> you know, I. So like, in recover, like in early recovery, I ended up just like because I was like in a, I was in a program with with people that were working a program of recovery. I just I became like attached to these people, and started to develop some friendships with them. Mm -hmm. And so like, it, it was like, like throughout the years, I've been able to like sustain like a lot of these friendships. Like my, like my friend drew my friend, Anthony, like I've been friends with them for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I met, I met my buddy, my, my friend drew. Um, I was a year clean and he was just coming in and, and right away, you know, we connected and, you know, became really, really close, best of friends, you know, Mm. and that was in 2001 Mm. or 2002. And, and my friend Anthony, I actually, (laughs) I, I grew up with Anthony and Everett and we actually used in the same home. I, I was friends with, um, I was friends with some, with my friend, I was friends with, um, kid Nick and Nick's younger brother, um, was friends with Anthony and we would literally get high in the same home in Everett and just like walk by each other and not chat, not talk, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, And we eventually, you know, when I was, I was probably like three years clean and Anthony found his way into recovery and, um, you know, being from Everett and, you know, we knew of each other for sure. And, um, and we started, you know, we became really tight. Mm. And so like, those are a couple of relationships that I've, I've, I've kept like really close to me. Um, And so like, I was thinking, too, like, in early recovery, like, remembering how it was, like, it was difficult, like, to, to meet, like, to, to trust people that, like, weren't addicts that wanted to help me. Like, that was a thing, too, like, I was thinking about, um... Like if you didn't walk a mile in my shoes, like you you can't help me, and you have no idea what I'm what I'm going through or what I've been through, and like so, I was kind of closed off to that, and maybe that's like a piece we can talk a little bit more about. Yeah, um, it's, also, not, it's also common in, in the, you know recovery arenas
0: that addicts can only help other addicts, right? You've heard that terminology,
1: that's right? <laughs> right, and um. Yeah, and I think more like that's becoming that's becoming kind of a hot thing the past like five or ten five more than five years. Anyways, like peer peer model, correct treatment, um, like the recovery coach stuff. <clears throat> um, you know, that's that's all peer to peer. So mm-hmm. people in recovery helping out people trying to get into recovery.
0: That's a prerequisite for a peer recovery coach is that you have to be in recovery
1: right yourself
0: and then obviously you know vetted trained properly
1: um and kind of out there so yeah right but you know i have experience you know i was thinking like maybe when i was when i was first coming in at 21 22 years old maybe it was you know it was you know it was really helpful for people for me to get help or identify or relate to people, you know, who've been through similar circumstances I I've been through. Mm-hmm. And then as I grew in my recovery, I was able to get, like, I was, I became more open to gaining more support and friendships from people that maybe weren't in recovery. You know, I think that came as I like grew in recovery, became more open-minded um, towards that. Um, cause like when, when I'm raw, like I'm thinking like when I'm raw, like in, like first getting into recovery, like I, you know, because the person's like been through so much that it's hard to trust anyways, to begin with, because haven't been trusting people for a while in active addiction. And so it's tough to definitely trust somebody right away who hasn't, who hasn't struggled with addiction so i don't
0: know I, th- I think i mean you and i have seen it especially in, in our kind of daver's treatment days together right is again that notion of like alliance with other people in recovery same stages which can also you know lead into relapse mm. right and so I, th- I think again like as as a normie myself right someone who's not in recovery from a substance use disorder um I, I, you know, I, I always felt a kind of certain way about certain terminology and, and and about like, you know, why am I doing this kind of thing? And it's, it's almost like as if I, I'm getting something like out of it. Like obviously I'm getting something out of it, but like I have like an ulterior motive to help someone who is like desperate or in despair, right? Of any right. kind of thing else. And you almost have like to constantly prove yourself that mm. you know your heart's in the right place, but also it's reinforced by a, a a lot of traditional models of recovery that yeah like this is the this this is the group that you you should automatically trust and that's not always this uh you know that's not always the case but also the opposite is also true adam what you're saying is that like yeah like in any stage of recovery right you shouldn't blindly put your faith into another human being um, mm. if you haven't really understood kind of who they are and why do they want to be friends with you right what's what, what's their intentionality what's their motivation for um, you know being in your life and you know vice versa so I, I think for you know my thing for people who are listening who might be in early recovery is you know trust is something that should be uh, built and um, you know, tested. Um and just because you know someone for a month doesn't mean that you should full on trust them. Trust is something that's constantly, you know, built and it's proven by people's, you know, evidence. And I and I think I'll circle back to like our relationship. You know, I I remember, you know, a a bunch of times, you know, where when you and I you and I would get out, out of work and I would come to your house and we were playing like ping pong in our khakis
1: and oh, like, with, the, with, the, with the um the we the way yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: you know uh and just you know you know stuff like that um yeah. and also like in, in these you know last few years where you know you know you've been in and out of like you know recovery and active addiction you know yeah. once i knew i would i would always you know make it a point to kind of just reach out to you and you've always been you know, again, gracious enough to like, not shut me out. And like, when you when you were ready, just, you know, let me know, you know, what transpired and, you know, what level of care you're in. And so I I, I you know, still always, you know, appreciate that, because you could have easily just been like, No, nah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going there with him or,
1: hey, or whatever. A, right, that's a good Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. But actually, <laughs> you bring up a good point, like, it really speaks to our friendship, because I don't really know too many people that that isn't that aren't in recovery that I would share, Hey, I'm, I, I relapsed again, or this is where I'm at, you know? Um, so really that speaks for, to our friendship that, you know, I trust you. I trust you a ton and I, I don't feel judged by you. I think that's like really important. I just don't feel judged by you at all.
0: Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah. Um, I also like what I was thinking about like over that that birthday dinner I was thinking like I was thinking about like accountability and like the importance of having close friends that are in recovery that hold like the addict or the person like accountable for like what they're doing you know so like like if I'm like like it's when I first get back into recovery like it's hard to be a hundred percent honest, you know, with stuff. It's mm.
0: like,
1: I, like, I, um, I questioned sharing this, but, um, second guessing it, but, you know, I, I was staling a ton out there when I, this, you know, for some years now, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing a ton of stealing and still like, it's a struggle for me to not steal something from like Target, mm. uh, and so like, you know, that's something for me to like share with like close friends that are in recovery, and they can like, you know, talk me through it, and they can be doing in like a judge a non judgmental way, and you know, um, in like a supportive way and where like, they're holding me accountable. They're like talking about maybe their experience with getting through that. Um, and, you know, I'm open to hearing, you know, hearing how, how to get through not doing that type of behavior, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I never, it's, I never thought I was, you know, people say, you know, addicts are notorious for like saying, I never thought I'd do that. Or I never (laughs) thought I'd go, you know? I, I never thought I'd be what that, you, but, you know, stuck a needle in my arm or, you know, addicts say that all, all the time, yeah. you know, but the progression of the illness. You know, I wouldn't steal for my parents. Yeah. yeah right. It, um, you know, because of the progression, you know, if you're, if a person's going to continue to use, it's going to continue to progress the behavioral part to, piece to it as well. And, um, So, yeah. So, yeah. So that's, you know, that's a struggle, you know, that's something, but like, I was thinking like over dinner, over that dinner, like my friends that like, those are all friends that like have no problem with telling me, you know, if I'm doing something fucked up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I respect that, you know, I respect them for that. And I, I need that in my life. Like, it's important for me to for me to have someone like people in my life that I can get some type of direction from. And like there's always like this pride piece that can like interfere with me reaching out for like some direction from mm-hmm. others. But at the same time, like I know intellectually that is a ton of people in the world in our world that have achieved, you know, like there's a ton of people in our world that have like the highest level of like spiritual enlightenment. And guess what? They get direction from someone too, you know? (laughs) So when I think about it like that, like, no, like I'm not too good to get direction. Like the freaking, you know, Dalai Lama gets direction, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, um, you know, you know what's interesting, Adam, is that, you know, when I do therapy, especially for like, like young adults, and they kind of talk about this, the whole thing about this, this, this pressure about like, having it all or knowing it all or whatever. And what I f- phrase to them is just like, you know, you have a bank account, right? So you're telling the bank, like, hey, I trust you with my money. I don't <laughs> actually trust myself. Can you hold on to it for me and like, give it to me, you know, as I take it? Like schools the same way, right? Is that you trust like a, a institution to educate you. And right. so we do these things like constantly and we, we we don't necessarily acknowledge them. But when it comes to like personal things like being in therapy or being a person in recovery and like having that, that notion of like, oh, like I, I can't be vulnerable in that place. Well, we're vulnerable all the time in other parts of our lives. You know, right. If you have a gym membership, you're pretty much saying is that, hey, I don't trust myself working out at home. I need to like pay you to like create yeah. a space for me. Right. So yeah. we we do those things, you know, constantly in our lives. And I think it's, you know, especially for people in recovery and, you know, also, you know, with mental health issues, like that, that's a big, big step in, in recognizing that, like, yeah, um, like we constantly ask for help and I Clients have asked me all the time, like, are you in therapy? And I, I always answer, like, honestly, like, I, I've been in therapy. I'm not currently in therapy. But I also have, like, therapist friends that I can process issues with, right. you know. Um, so, yeah, there there is this constant, like, evolution about us always asking for help or being helped by other people uh, short-term, long-term, in crisis, whatever the case is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking too. Go like circling back to the like the treatment world and like the peer support model, recovery coach model, and how when we were first coming up, like working in the field. I don't know about you, but like I was I was trained specifically to have tight boundaries with self disclosure, and we've touched on it here and there Mm -hmm. throughout throughout episodes. I think. But I was like, I was trained hard to, you know, not use self-disclosure unless, you know, ask myself like, what's this person going to get from, from me sharing this, right? Mm -hmm. Is it so important that this is going to help the person like, you know, make a, make a huge difference in like their treatment experience or their recovery? Um, And ask myself like, what's it doing for me by sharing it too? Because sometimes self-disclosure like use of it can become you know more for like the person self-disclosing like the counselor or the worker you know can become more for like the worker and less about the client the patient you know so that so like when you I think you (laughs) I think you referenced to this like in one of our earlier episodes like you didn't even know I was in recovery like it took me a while for you it took a while for you to realize that I was like one day I came out with it, but like, it was a little while I had such, I have clients that like past clients that I bump into here and there. And they'll say, I I didn't, I was in and out of, you know, the detox so much that treatment program. And I never knew that you were an addict in recovery. Cause Mm -hmm. I never, I probably ever shared it, you know? And as a worker, like, I pri- I kind of prided myself on being able to, like, relate with clients or having clients trust me without me really self-disclosing too much, you know? Yeah. And, um, but now, like, the treatment, when, you know, the treatment world has taken this, you know, it's come to, like, this other, you know, this other area where you know this is kind of like the go to model now in the in treatment treatment experience is is you know the peer model the you know the 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 person in recovery who's working in the field sharing and over you know sharing their life with the patient like this you know i've been in and out of treatment enough now like you know recently in the past few years that that's that's the main thing that's going on there is the, the workers are sh- fully sharing like all of themselves,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I I found it. I'll, I'll be honest. Like the first time, like the first, when I first started relapsing and, you know, I was working in the field for, for a while. And, you know, I had, I, you know, I, I, I didn't really self-disclose too much. Um, when I first started relapsing, I was in and out of treatment and workers were, like, fully disclo- disclosing, like, their life, I was taken back by it. I'm like, what are they doing? They're self-disclosing, and, <laughs> you know, they shouldn't be doing this. They don't have any boundaries, you know, all this stuff, I was thinking. And then, <laughs> and then like, it, be- it came like, I don't know if I got used to it and comfortable with it or, like, what happened so much, like, during that process, but... Like I started to feel like really comfortable with with you know with people with the work with workers like fully disclosing like a lot about them you know about their recovery and stuff. Yeah, and what I,
0: I think doing. from um, my side of it too is that like
1: you know being early on it it
0: was again self disclosure was talked about it was educated it was like you know you only do it once when, when it's in the best interest. Of right. you know the client and relatability. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't go full on details, and so I even kind of changed up things. You know, as I kind of share personal things, like, oh, I know somebody who did X, X, Y, and Z, and I could be referring to myself or somebody else. But one of the things that someone said to me, like very early on, like, hey, like we're in the human service industry, okay. right? And if you as a clinician, right, mm. is not being a human. Right. Then, what what is it showing to the client that you're asking them to be vulnerable? Right. You're asking them to kind of divulge yeah. to you as a, as a kind of a stranger. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think for folks out there who might be listening, and you know, who are you know, pressing boundaries or whatever. Like, if you know your therapist, like <laughs> date of birth and and like how many children they have, and and like you know all these like great detail, then they've gone too far. But if you know some of their struggles and what they did to kind of Mm -hmm. overcome them, that's that relatable human experience that we all kind of carry in substance Mm -hmm. use or in mental health or just, you know, life adventures that kind of comes along the way. And I think, you know, those are opportunities for us to kind of connect as a human being that like, like I, as a therapist don't have all the answers. and I am, I will almost like prove to you that I'm imperfect just so that you don't constantly view me as someone who always has the answers that I can struggle to. And, you know, mm. whatever you're going through that I want to be supportive, but I might not have like a, a response that might fit in this moment in time. So um, okay. I've kind of I, I adapted along the way. And I just actually got out of a therapy session, uh, you know, with someone, um, I disclose, you know, self-disclose a, a few things related to like their hardship and kind of that, that hardship being similar to what I went through and what, what journey I went on uh to kind of overcome it so that they're not just taking on the, like that struggle as like, like a personal, like moral defeat mm. Um, mm. and they appreciate it. I mean, that, that's, <clears> yeah, I, you know, so I, I take that. You know, for what it's worth so yeah, yeah i mean i, I think there's yeah. there's a lot to be said about you know self-disclosure and you know how one where where all that kind of stuff um yeah uh, it, can, it can definitely be a, a, a tricky line and i've heard some clients about like yeah like i like in therapy like the therapist was constantly talking about their lives like that's crossing the boundary line that self-disclosure mm-hmm. line right yeah. Uh, yeah. i i think i'm really proud of like of all the folks who I've done therapy with, like how much actual information they have about me. um, I feel very comfortable about
1: what, what information they
0: have. Um, Yeah. Right. So.
1: Yeah. two with like, you know, like being like when I think about like being in and out of like the same rehab for, you know, a year and well into a year and a half, like every other month there. And a lot of times staying for the full 30 days Mm -hmm. and then being back there, like a month later, Mm -hmm. um, you just, you just end up like naturally Mm -hmm. in some way becoming close with like some of the staff there when you go, when you're in there that much, you know, I don't know. Sure.
0: I mean, I I think for you and, and for them too, it's
1: like, where you might feel like you're, you're starting
0: back at square one. But again, th- those interactions you had with those, the, the staff workers, right. Mm. They remember you of where you were. So like for them, it's almost like, okay, you know, you're here. Uh, let's kind of pick up where we left off versus yeah. like you feeling maybe like I'm starting all over again. Yeah. And that kind of, that relationship, that trust, right. you know, is like resuming of where it left off, you know, when you had completed treatment.
1: Yeah. Good point. I, I, <laughs> I, um, this is kind of, kind of cool to share, um, about maybe three months ago, three months ago or so, I started doing commitments, like going into the, the, my old, the old rehab that I frequented mm. to like share with like the client, share like my story and stuff. Right. So I started doing that like three months ago. And the first time that I went back to, to that rehab to shoot, the first time I went in there. There was a st- there was a staff person that like when they saw me they started crying. Mm. They were like they they couldn't but like they were so happy mm. that I was there clean, you know, sharing my story, and I was going to be leaving there and not staying there as a patient. And like the person, sh- like their tears, like brought me to tears. Like it was, and that powerful. it was- yeah, it was really powerful to like to, to feel that, to, sh- to, to see that. Um, I, I mean, when I say like this rehab was like mom and dad to me for a long time, like that's how, that's how it was, you know, they were, to- you. they were totally keeping me safe when I was in there. I felt safe. I felt that safety, you know? Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> another thing like I wanted to touch on was, um, was like the difficulty of not going, like not going right back to like using friends or like, you know, hanging around people that are, you know, not using, you know? Um, So like, and I may have, we may have touched on it a little bit tonight already, but like when I was 21, first getting clean or actually like when it was my first, very first rehab at 18 and I went in, I went in and, I, you know, I didn't really understand like addiction at all, what I really had. And I discharged and all my friends were, were using friends. And I, I literally like hung on for, you know, maybe a max of 10 days without seeing them, but I had absolutely no one else. And I didn't go to like, I didn't go to meetings or anything. So I just like, I went back to, to my old crew, you know, But, like, I just can't stress, like, the importance of, like, having to change friends, people that, you know, have been your friends for, like, years. Like, that's, it's easier said than done, you know, for sure. Like, I hear people say, like, how can I not hang out with my friend of, like, 30 years? You know, I I was at their godfather, or I was at their christening, or wedding, Right. I mean, I don't have like like I don't like for like that was one of the blessings for me. Like even though like I've been in and out for for a bit now, one of the blessings is like I had through like the the 14 years of recovery, you know, that I had like I, I have I had a lot of people still in my corner that I could I could go to, you know, um, so I didn't have to like start like a support system all over again or from, you know, from nothing. Like I had it all set up for me, but being in, like being in and out of rehab, like I realized how grateful I, I really am to like, to have that built in support, that support system already there. Cause most people don't have like, they, most people that I met in rehab didn't have like the support system that I had in place at all, you know? Um, and that was like, that was, it was very noticeable that they let, that they lacked that.
0: Yeah. I mean, but I'll challenge that for a second, Adam, and say that like your brothers are not in recovery and they're your support system. Your parents are not in recovery and they're your support. So let
1: me, so let me put the bash on this. So I was going to bring this up too, like family supports, like there's no, like, I, I love that they're in my corner, and they love me, and they support me, and they support me as as family. Not as, like, some... They can't really... I don't look at family as being able to really help me so much with my recovery. Um, like, in terms of, like, the emotional aspect of it, or, like, staying clean. Like, I, I just don't see like me being able to really get support like that from my family. Like I need my family to just, to be fam, to be my family, you know? Um, so, uh,
0: what I'm referencing though, is that like, is that there, it, there is something and I, I'm not saying for, for you or for like anyone who is listening and, and struggling that, you know, you know, all your using friends and that kind of lifestyle that was kind of, you know, reinforced and, and built in and around like, you know running the streets and stealing and using and partying and what, what, whatever right family itself alone is not going to make someone you know sustain their recovery absolutely there yeah. needs to be a broader right. network right. of like people I've in thought, recovery yeah. out of recovery family yeah. co-workers like there's this constant yeah. evolution of, of people and kind of you know growth that comes out of it but like Family who was supportive of you seeking recovery is support. Right. They they, they right. can't I mean, be your recovery friends, right? Because that's not right. what their role yeah. is. But, their but I
1: will say, you know how many people I've met in, um, you know, in early recovery or in treatment that their only support, like, to begin with, is, like, their wife or their mom and dad? Sure. <laughs> and if that's the case, like... I, I, that that's not going to be too successful at all, you know? Cause like the family dynamic will like, fuck me up, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just don't believe, like, I felt bad. Cause like, if I'm in like 90% of it, you know, a ton of the time I'll say like in treatment, you're, you know, you get close with people like really quick, you know, after like two days, de- you know, you want to find a new best friend, like go to rehab and spend two days with 20 other people, you know, <laughs> like constantly, you know? So Every like, hour. right. You get to know people like really quick on like somewhat of a, an intimate level because you're, you're in, you know, you're living with these people now. Right. Um And so I, I like, the, the, like, what I'll hear is like the stories of like their families, you know, con- like constant store, horror, sh- you know, nightmare stories about, See. um, about their family and stuff. So, like, and then when, and then like the next group, I'll hear them say how their wife is like really supportive of them. Dude, you were just talking about how she drives you up a wall, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, if, like, and then, like, I'm kind of all over the map, maybe a little bit, but like, you also hear like a lot of like like wives and husbands, like they, um, they end up not wanting to y- you to go to meetings because now you're always out out of the home, uh, you're not home, for a you, you know, right? And there's like that codependency stuff that's there too, that maybe you know your significant other. Didn't really realize was there, but the codependency was there, you know. Well, um,
0: I, I wouldn't even throw that language out there like that, Adam, because like codependency is, is very pervasive and it's and it's very harmful. I, I I would even look at and I and I think you and I have talked about this, uh, like off air is the the family systems theory. Yeah. Right. So the person who's using, who the identified addict is, is not the only sick one in the family the other right. family members and support systems, whatever it might be is either reinforcing uh, the active addiction to kind of happen in indirect kind of ways. So, yeah. you know, a lot of conversations I've had with people in early recovery is just like, Hey, just because you're sober 30 days doesn't mean even your parents, loved ones, whatever are going to like, you know, jump for joy or want to kind of, you know, be there with you. Uh, e- even if they're not saying it, their behavior is probably doing something very, very different. And we, you know, we can kind of gain that insight. I, I think is very, very profound for for people in early recovery that like the whole family is, is sick in some kind of way, which means the whole family needs to begin to like tailor their own methodology to the person in question and vice versa. So that everyone is kind of learning a, a new methodology, a, a new way of uh, relating to each other outside of, you know, that active addiction, because everyone is addicted without the using part
1: yep yep i mean if i if i was um you know just because i'm getting you know i'm getting healthier or i'm getting better that doesn't mean you know the my family is getting better with me necessarily right doesn't really mean that um you know i gotta hope and pray and support that the people that are closest to me are, are able to seek out their own support and help to be able to to get better, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I uh, want to circle back to something that you said
0: uh, a while ago, and I know, you know, we've touched up on it, and, you know, for, for like, young people in, in recovery and going, like, the traditional, like, AA and any model, it, it can feel very kind of isolating and like not connecting because of the age, you know, gaps and differences. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of great movement like mm-hmm. young people in recovery ypr is fantastic uh recovery high schools uh college recoveries there's so many new things that have been created or are uh, i should say created but like are not being promoted as safe places for people in early, early recovery and young people in recovery uh to really strengthen it and i think for yeah. people who are don't necessarily find themselves with other people the idea of recovery isn't keeping the same using friends and then hoping and praying you don't use because <laughs> that right. that will never work. And you're probably evidence of that it not working. Right. The idea is the fact that just like what we just talked about, the family systems idea of, of sickness and wellness, just because you're well and you're sober doesn't mean that you're using friends are going to not use because of you or around you. Uh, So the idea is they are on their own journey and you are on a different journey. If those journeys cross paths at some point, fantastic. If not, you kind of just resign the fact that it's everyone's individual choice and um, finding connections, you know, with other people, like other traits that you have, other hobbies, other interests. You know, as you mentioned, I think it's beautiful that, you know, recovery was the gateway of you connecting to other human beings without the substance. Like, that helped you kind of break down walls um, and get confident and connect and have conversations with people. And the recovery is the thing that kind of started it and it's kind of underlying everything, but then mm-hmm. you've built this other great, you know, relationship with, with friends, including you and I, uh, that goes beyond just, you know, the using or the recovery piece of it. Right. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I think about like being so young, when I first got into recovery at 21, I mean, it's really, you know, it's tough for, it was tough for me to wrap my mind around that, that, you know, that was it, you know, now I'm not going to use ever again. Like I'm 21 years old, huh. you know, I have, you know, I have the rest of my life ahead of me, you know, hopefully it's a, you know, it's, you know, a lot of years left and I can never drink or use any substance again. It's a lot to take in. Sure. Um, and so like, you know, I didn't, you know, initially, I don't know if you remember, but I didn't want to stay clean. And when I first got in at 21, didn't want to, and like through yeah. some, you know, some events like that changed for me. Um, but I think it's really I think it's really difficult for for young people to really wrap their head around you know that it it's going to be forever. The thing is is like, you know, in AA and NA and you know recovery groups like they'll tell you, you know, try to trick your mind into, you know, you just have to stay clean for today, you know, type of you know thought or um you know just you know it's not for you know, you know if you want to use today just push it off for till tomorrow like all these mind, you know some mind tricks that can be really useful um but like intellect like we're not dumb like it's tough to trick your mind when you have awareness that no yeah. this really is forever <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's a projection to be, it's thing yeah. to be forever right so i don't know Yeah, it's yeah. no
0: it's so uh,
1: it definitely is very perplexing,
0: and it's a challenge and you know you're, you're a testament of that challenge um and it kind of, you know, working right now, right? I mean, so that's that's the that's the whole game is you know, we honor today and, and we accept today. And if we do right. the right thing today, right. That's a, that's a massive achievement. And whatever tomorrow brings, you know, it will bring. And hopefully we do the same thing and put one foot in front of the other and uh feel good about ourselves at the end of the day. Yeah. For sure, for sure. So transition.
1: Uh, I'm trying to think if I have anything else to you know, uh, throw out there with us. You know, no, um, you don't. Are you shutting me down? <laughs> I will not. I refuse to be shut down by <laughs> You do not shut me down. You cannot
0: shut this guy down.
1: No shutting me down. Um, let me see.
0: Uh, yeah, go back to your notes.
1: I'm throwing my notes out. <laughs> so, oh, stop like a
0: bag of chips.
1: Those were <laughs> not chips. Um, <laughs> I did. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I talked a little bit about like the, you know having friends that like hold you accountable and stuff, but also like you know when a lot of people in early recovery they'll. Um, it's easier to seek out people that are new, new as well with you, right? Like you you go to a meeting, you know, you might go to a meeting and um, you know, it's easier to latch onto someone that has, you know, a couple weeks clean just like you do. Right. Mm -hmm. But I can't stress enough like the, I can't stress enough the importance of seeking out someone that has like longer recovery than you. Has been like clean for like a little while longer that can kind of show you the ropes a little bit. Also, oh,
0: role model like or what recovery should like look like and sound like.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that's all it's I a- had for like, you know, my mental notes here. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I
0: don't think the audience is shocked, Adam, that you didn't have anything written down for. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, what, yeah, I mean, I, why would I write anything down? Like, what, you know, what I have to say is what, you know, it's right here, it's right now. It's in the old cranium, and then it comes out the mouth. Fantastic. Yeah. If it doesn't come
0: out, it wasn't supposed to come out. So that's, <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> All right. So we'll transition to the five controversies for tonight's uh, episode. Um, for folks Woo! out there, please uh, email us the addict and the counselor at gmail.com. Please listen to us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, and Amazon Music Podcast, The Addict and the Counselor. Um, so yeah, first controversy, um, if there was, so if. It's a hypothetical if,
1: you giving up?
0: A- well, so not because not every bedroom has it. That's why I'm saying if. Okay. <clears throat> if a bedroom had a fan, like a ceiling fan. Would you prefer the fan being on or off?
1: I prefer it on. Straight to the point? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the noise. I like the noise that it makes. Mm. It's, like, soothing. Um, you know, it's, like, almost, like, meditative in some ways. Translucent. Like- yeah, it's like you know, no, you know, uh, a noise box or whatever you call it. Um, but also, you know, there's something about like the air blowing on my, you know, my blowing on me a little bit, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan on kind of guy in, in the bedroom if the bedroom had it. Uh, I like that just like the idea that like air is circulating. It's not like stagnant. Yeah. things
1: are moving. Uh, big fan of that. Um, so, would you do you leave the o- the window open a crack, or what's your you yeah yeah
0: I, I I I love the concept of fresh air if it's if it's tolerable uh, just kind of mm-hmm. get the air circulating. um My wife does not like it at all. <laughs> 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 like I wake up it's like seven o'clock in the morning. I just like crank open all like
1: all the windows. Just like
0: it's like forty degrees. I'm like
1: it's mm-hmm. fresh air. We need it. I'm like I'm kind of like a clean like. Some respect, I'm like an, a clean freak, so like I can't, I wouldn't be able to have the fan on, like I wouldn't have the fan on if it was kind of you know a little dusty in the room, you oh, know come on, that come on that wouldn't be that wouldn't be good. All right, now, now you're going off the deep end. All
0: right, move on, move on. Uh, I think I know the answer uh, for you, and you probably <laughs> have the answer for me, but facial hair
1: versus clean shaven. Oh, I'm clean-shaven guy. I always have been, and probably always will be. Now, I've been more comfortable with going a day without shaving, but <laughs> but ideally, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna show up to suit up with a clean shave mm. and a fresh baldy too. You know, my wow. my head's gonna be matching clean, clean shave too. Um, I. I will not go like every day, basically these days, every day I shave my head because on the, I, if I let it grow a little bit, it's just gr- little gray stubble that are, <laughs> that's on the side, the sides of my head. And I just, I it just, just freaks me out.
0: Um, I, I'm in the weird in between thing. And I always have been like, I don't like the feeling of like clean shaven. I never have. But I also yeah. didn't like like facial hair to so, like a certain point got all like you know very itchy, but mm-hmm. I would say with the pandemic like pretty much since like 2019, 2020, this is by far the longest I, I I've kept facial hair like a like a like a decent beard all year yeah. round. Uh, yeah. I'll usually do a beard in the winter months just you know for like a, cha- a change of look and some warmth, and I would just like shave it all off. Uh, yeah, but I, I've been rocking you know the, the facial hair. Uh, you know the beard um, for quite some time now, so we'll see how long it goes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought we covered uh, this controversy, but it, it maybe recirculated
1: uh, through. What? Um, Are we running out of controversies already? No, I don't know. The, the, I have my, I have my people. Else. I have my people that can, you know, easily give us some.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> em- emails away the controversies,
0: and it might take its way.
1: They'll uh, probably just shoot me a text or something instead of using the email, no, but okay, yeah. whatever. So, <laughs> milk chocolate
0: versus white or dark chocolate?
1: Yeah, I'm milk chocolate, and just overall tastes better. Um, I will say, yeah, I mean milk chocolate. Um, now that doesn't mean like there aren't times where. I'll take a dark chocolate over milk chocolate or even a white chocolate. But what, what I like the best is milk chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I,
0: I, I despise white chocolate. Uh, It should not even be considered chocolate. It should be something else. I shouldn't use the name of chocolate to it. (laughs) Um, And this notion of dark chocolate, like, Oh, it's the healthier side of it. If I'm trying to be healthy eating chocolate, (laughs) I should probably move on to something else that's a little more healthier than dark chocolate. So if I'm eating chocolate, it's milk chocolate.
1: <laughs> dark chocolate also is known as a um, aphrodisiac, too. Oh, Yeah. All right. Nice way to say. You know.
0: All right. Next one. This is kind of like weird, but like it's out there. People have their preference. Smooth versus rough surfaces.
1: Yeah, smooth, smooth. I'd pick.
0: Yeah. It's wild that I, I think, I think people like don't mind like certain sur- like surfaces, like with their hand goes on it or whatever. I'm a hundred percent smooth, like anything yeah. that has like a, a little bit of like a ripple to it, and, and it's not like flush. Oh, my skin crawls immediately.
1: Yeah, I mean this table, failing this table right now that I'm at, and it's pretty smooth, although it has like. You know it's wooden, so like it has like some areas where it's not as smooth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, last one. I, I think a good one. I, I think these two groups of people usually do not cross over all too much. Okay. Flip flops versus slippers. The slide
1: ins. I mean flip flops. I'm wearing outside into the world. Slippers I'm wearing just in my home. Wow, you're a weirdo. Slippers outside, like in the like, yes. like don't hide in slippers. No, never. I never do, I never do that. Do I, I mean, yeah, when I escape from the freaking mental institution. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what the fuck? Just no,
0: around trying to <laughs> walk as fast as possible.
1: <laughs> no i never really you're you're slipper guy outside in society
0: no no I, oh. I, i'm flip, i'm i'm 100% well, I'm well, actually we... looking for a new pair of flip flops for the summer i haven't you know found uh, the right thing but a, there's a big transition now into like that slipper like sandal type of thing yeah i think less flip-flops are being used yeah. um I don't know, by guys with nails. Are they called slides? slides? Is that what? I think they're, you know, yeah. I think some people refer to them as as slides.
1: Okay, all right. I I know what you're talking about now. I know. Because some, yeah. Yeah, all right.
0: (laughs) Usually one or the other. Uh
1: Yeah.
0: All right, so that's the show. That's the episode.
1: That's a wrap, huh?
0: That's it for today.
1: That's Episode eight. Week. Episode eight in the books.
0: I believe we're at this is number eight. Yeah. 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 So okay. listening, folks. Uh keep following us. Let us know how we can uh improve. Anything we need to talk about, we will. That's what's the
1: email again? What's the email?
0: The addict and the counselor at gmail dot com.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. All right, we'll do it again
1: next week. All right. Hey. Nice chat and I'll Always. talk to you. See you real soon. Yeah, real soon. But later.